everybody to the Game of Thrones Flashcast, part of the TV podcast here at The Incomparable. I'm Jason Snell. We're here to talk about Season 7, Episode 3 of Game of Thrones, The Queen's Justice. Joining me to discuss this are Monty Ashley. Hello. Hi, Jason. It's good to have you here. It's good to be had here. All right. And Brian Hamilton. This new Metallica album and Justice for the Queen is a little weird, but I'll roll with it. I just, I was going to introduce you as the Queen and Justice, but I couldn't decide who would be who. (laughs) I'll be the. Uh, So, you you have the easy job then. You know what I like to do? First off, I'd like to say again that we love our listeners and either are all our talk about people complaining and nitpicking what we say scared everyone off last week or we had a very rare mistake-free episode (laughs) or some combination thereof because we didn't get a lot of those you guys don't know what you're talking about and totally forgot this important scene that happened earlier so thank you for that but maybe this week maybe we'll do that this week it's probably do it this week yeah there's a lot going on there's a lot for us to miss yeah, exactly right. There's so much here to miss. And I like, see, now this episode really ruins uh, what I like to do, because I like to take it by blocks instead of, based on location, instead of taking the episode in chronological order. And I don't think I can do that tonight, because I felt that this episode, unlike many <laughs> Game of Thrones... That's how my notes went. <laughs> unlike many Game of Thrones episodes, this episode actually kind of flows from scene to scene and requires the knowledge of the previous scene for... For it to make sense, which is which is kind of funny because, you know, that's traditionally how television works. But Game of Thrones, it's usually, you know, four things that are kind of unrelated. And that that is not entirely what happened, although I guess it's mostly in the uh, there, there are a few blocks that sort of stand out as being irrelevant to the rest of the, the story. So I could do it a little bit. So maybe I'll do that. Let's let's start then in Winterfell where we finally get the scene that everybody wanted to see where Sansa tells people to put leather onto armor. At That's long to last. show she's a competent administrator. <laughs> yes, she's doing a great job. In fact, there's a line in another part of the, the episode that we haven't talked about yet that, that, that predicts that this will happen. She is giving good commands and Littlefinger says command suits you. And uh, I really love that uh, Sansa just gives it right back to to uh to Littlefinger she's like oh you mean Cersei's my enemy and uh she might uh she might want to kill me thanks good advice dummy I had no idea (laughs) I love that that was great but uh Littlefinger is a fan of three uh three or ten dimensional chess he says fight every battle everywhere always (laughs) in your mind at all times every possible series of events is happening at once I waited for him to start talking about the many worlds interpretation of of, uh quantum mechanics but he didn't do that he just said (laughs) he just said think of everything and keep it all in your mind and then you won't be surprised at which point she is surprised by the arrival of her brother you know Jason I've been been thinking about that metaphor you just used because people use it a lot where the advanced thinker is a master of like seven dimensional chess. And I always wonder if people who play regular two dimensional chess feel kind of insulted by it. I would. I mean, they imagine. do have to think several moves ahead just in regular chess, right? Yeah, I think the implication is Star Trek chess is harder, but maybe not. I don't know. I, just, I think regular chess is plenty hard. It's plenty hard. All right. Yeah, it's pretty hard. All right. 
Well, write in. <laughs> tweet at us at TVNet if uh, you think it's easy. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Bran appears, though. And this is our first sense. Um, it, it is a... A heartfelt reunion. Hello, Sansa. And she she gives him a big hug and is crying. And he's just kind of staring out. And we, we very much get the sense here that indeed he is the three-eyed raven. He is, uh, he is no longer, you know, a regular person. He's got a bunch of other stuff going on. He's not going to know why we humans cry, nor is he going to become the Lord of Winterfell. And he tells her sister, his sister uh, that much that it's complicated, but... I, uh, speaking of being everywhere and seeing everything, I think it's no mistake that immediately what Bran says is, I can see everything. It's all pieces now, but when the long night comes, I need to be ready. It's very, very interesting. And then he spooks her by pointing out that he saw her wedding night and how the, what the weather was like and that <laughs> her dress was pretty. Yeah. <laughs> He may as well be Dr. Manhattan floating on Mars somewhere building glass sand structures. It felt yeah. to me like, in my notes I have Bran, oh my god, Bran, oh my god, Stark reunion, what, all in caps. And the more I'm thinking about it now, hearing you describe it again, Jason, the more I think they really didn't give the Starks a reunion. This is the Three-Eyed Raven now. This is not Bran. Sansa's emotional, of course, but right. Bran is Bran. Yeah, I did like that he showed up immediately after Littlefinger's speech about how if you envision all possibilities nothing will surprise you everything that happens will be something that you've seen before well okay you didn't uh, see this coming did you little finger yeah, that's right did you didn't right. know we were gonna have this your brother we thought was dead is now a supernatural weapon who can see everything haha <laughs> The fact that Littlefinger had that weird monologue about, oh, I see everything and I think about every battle in my head all the time, it made me think, wait a minute, there's no way that Littlefinger actually has some kind of spiritual help in all of this, is he? Like, it, no. it made no sense to me. And especially no. the fact it was so on the nose that Bran showed up immediately after and said pretty much the same thing. I felt that this whole episode kind of had a lot of monologues that didn't go anywhere. And Littlefinger's was one of the ones I liked the most. Well, I mean, but he's really saying a long time. he's really trying to give her basic advice, which is anti- you know anticipate all the possible actions and how you'll react to them, and then well, because the- don't get caught flat footed. You 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 want to you want to be planning so that whenever anything happens, you know what the right play is, and so always be thinking of that about that because I do believe that's what he's doing. That's how he lives his life is he's always thinking up all the scenarios and how his response is, and that's how he's gotten where he is. It's a longer version of his advice to Ned when he first got to King's Landing, which was just, trust no one. Yeah. yeah. He's apparently <laughs> felt the need. Starks, you have to spell it out a bit more. They're trusting folk in the North, you know, apparently. So he has to, he has to expect it. Expect it. it it's, um, yeah, anyway, I mean, this is about all we get up here. So it's, it's a little bit kind of like, uh, we get, we get grand, some brand movement, which is good. And he says, I need to talk to John. And of course, that's going to not happen quite yet, but maybe, maybe soon. But, uh, because we know he's got important things to tell John that unfortunately include information that would have been useful in the rest of this episode in terms of John's relationship with Daenerys. But it, oh, timing timing it happens that's that's just sometimes the timing is bad and that's the case here 
I love that we're starting in Winterfell where, you know, the the uh, the idea here is that not much happened in Winterfell and it was cool, cool stuff, but there's a lot more important stuff that happened in the rest of the show. Even though, you know, in this mm. one scene we're starting out with because it's not that important, we get a Bran Stark and Sansa Stark reunion. It, it's mind-boggling to me that this is yeah. how fast the show is moving now, that like the least important thing in the episode is this reunion yeah well the Stark kids have come a long way i think the point of, and what what Arya learned last week is that they've all changed like they they have all been dispersed and thinking about you know going home or going back to the way it was and i think this is one of the bittersweet realities that they're all understanding now is that they can't go back to the way it was like they're all very different people than they were when they were kids which is not a surprise and yet i do think i do think they have held on to their childhood and held on to winterfell and thought about that as a place that they could get back to but you know so their parents are dead many of their siblings are dead and the ones who are alive are not the same at all not john not sansa uh not uh not bran and not Arya. and Arya could well come up like next week she could yeah she wasn't in this episode yeah, we don't know where she's going, but, um, you know, she was heading toward Winterfell, but then she saw Nymeria, and I, again, like I said, I think last week and the week before, I feel like Arya's entire, like, point at this point is that we are going to just continually be surprised where she appears by peeling off a mask and going, ha as she kills somebody. That's her thing now, I think. That's fine. I'm okay with that. Maybe, so maybe she's already in Winterfell, or or maybe she's about to kill Cersei and replace her and uh, order her armies to do stupid things. I don't know. Maybe Cersei is dead. Miss her. Miss her. Hmm. Uh, so we'll, we'll go to Old Town because that's a really quick thing. There's a scene we get in Old Town. Jorah, who we saw getting his scales peeled off by Sam last time and, and ointment applied, has been cured. He's, he's, um, Jim Broadbent, uh, analyzes him. And there's a very funny bit of dialogue. I liked this a lot where, uh, he says, I, I got better. I assume it was, uh, the climate <laughs> that, that did it. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, I don't suppose that somebody popped all these scales off of you and put an unguent on them. And he's like, no, nope, it was, I'm pretty sure it was just the nice warmth and humidity and the climate here that helped me out. And, uh, and, and basically, uh, Sam has saved him and they, they, there's a nice moment where he says, you know, your, your father, helped me out a lot, the old bear, so I'm happy to return the favor. Perhaps our paths will cross again, and they shake hands. Um, and I like that, because they're two of, you know, they're two two fun characters in the show who have this moment, and they're now going to go, because he's got to go back to, to Daenerys and, and find her, because again, with the Daenerys, with Jorah, he is obsessed. And, uh, and, and he can touch people again, which is really great for handshaking. Yeah, yeah. great. He, he gets in. He does a full two handshake. He's like the handshake. And then he puts the other hand on top. He's like, I really got this. I'm, I've got the handshake down. Uh, but it's that it's a, it's a sweet scene. I mean, the, the big point of it, I think, is that is is what's going to happen to uh, Sam, who is called into the principal's office at the end. But that basically he he says, well, you know, you disobeyed me, but you did. There's a great moment uh, that I like where, where Jim Broadbent says, how did you succeed at this? And he says, I uh, read the book and followed the instructions. <laughs> and you get the sense. Hello, IT. Have you turned it off and on again? <laughs> yeah. Like that's like Meister 101. But, you know, people don't read the instructions. So it's like, OK, that's encouraging. This man is alive because of you. Now, uh, copy these scrolls. <laughs> With any luck, those were carefully chosen scrolls that he picked out because they will have some useful information to Sam. 
I do wonder if that is the case. I did think that, that like perhaps this will actually be some curated things. Then again, Jim Broadbent might just be, you're lucky I didn't kick you out. Uh, watch out for the paper mites. Yeah. Although I still really appreciate that the reason he's here in the first place, as revealed at the end of last season, was he wanted to be around the books. He wanted to learn. He wanted to gain knowledge. And he finally gets to do that. He's probably not going to be cleaning out chamber pots and uh, scraping scales off of people, which, by the way, this episode gets the award for least disgusting Citadel scene this season. Yeah. So congratulations, uh, season seven, episode three. <laughs> well, shouldn't he be scraping scales off people? He's the only person who's done it successfully. Yeah, if, I were the, if I were Old Town, this is all Sam does for the rest of his life. Monty, don't encourage them. I so, do not want that scene anymore, please. I, I think <laughs> there are people who are have a horrible disease, Brian. The problem with I'm the just trying to protect them. The problem with the old town uh, plan for Sam is that Sam Sam doesn't really want to become a meister so much as he wants to gather all information from the Citadel about how to fight the White Walkers, and I think that's going to put him. I was actually a little surprised that they didn't just expel him here but i feel like that's kind of inevitable now is that he's going to find he's just trying to find ways to get access to the knowledge so that he can share it he, he's even though he's there theoretically to become a, a meister i just don't think that's his that's his path right he's not gonna put in several years of graduate school he's gonna get the books that he needs to get he'll he'll get the chain just long enough to get into that meister's only part of the library and then he's out of there i think is the is the 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 arc for sam but we'll see it's funny sam is a character who i don't really know quite what they're going to do with him he's just sort of holding an old town trying to learn things for late i you know i imagine he will learn things will be important later but right now he's just you know learning stuff and and uh, saving people and that's all good good for him saving jura and and learning things out of books in an episode or in a uh, season where everything's moving so fast toward the end game it's nice to kind of take a break with sam and let him learn and grow Mm -hmm. in a very natural way uh compared to the rest of the uh, season is it <laughs> I don't think the rest of the show is moving as fast as you think it does, and I think Sam's kind of not moving at all. I will discuss. We'll discuss. I think <laughs> Sam. Well, okay. I, I here's the thing. So Sam, two episodes ago, episode one sent a raven to John with information about Dragonglass. Right. Last episode, all he did was heal start healing jorah and in this episode jorah is now healed and sam is back to copying manuscripts so i i guess you could say that sam has done sort of two things in three episodes um sam has advanced <laughs> other people's plots he's given john something to do and he's put jorah back on the board yeah he could have done all that off screen i don't know what i feel that but sam? there's a reason the there's a reason the show is spending time with him because he's a great character and he has something to do for the rest of the season. I sincerely hope. Well, just Monty <laughs> next week, he'll copy manuscripts. That'll be great. Won't it? <laughs> I'm interested in that. Yeah. Yeah. What, what will they be? They'll be, it's not that much. He'll also have to put on some ointment. Yeah. That should be good. Maybe Gilly will come by with a sandwich while he's copying uh, manuscripts if we're lucky i will say i was i really enjoyed uh jim broadbent's investigation technique which appeared to be poking jora with a stick yeah and his analysis was that an unguent had been used yes there are not enough unguents around i, I agree if it's his masterly more, stick yeah very special yeah. stick and that was like yeah does this hurt yes <laughs> it's like an old-timey <laughs> tricorder right. yeah all right well 
keep it keep it up keep being the cranky the cranky dean of the citadel jim broadband it's fun i enjoy his scenes i think they're fun oh yeah <laughs> i think i think that's the i and so in that way i sort of said with brian which is like i kind of enjoy the sam scenes i don't think they're really advancing rapidly or anything but i enjoy them for sam and i enjoy them for jim broadbent and i feel well, like it is an ch- opportunity for them to keep parceling out like more information about the world but it is not exactly rushing headlong as brian said it is kind of a uh uh just a, a more of a pleasant like a pause at the citadel what what's going on with sam what's he learning now what what let, gross thing is happening let me put it this way i would love these scenes if they were spun off into their own show that's like sam's adventures at college and jim broadbent is this crusty dean yeah and maybe he's in a frat or something yeah they try to sneak it like a donkey in but jim broadbent yeah, yeah, figures yeah. it out yeah <laughs> that show i'm all about how Did i met you your use an unguent on this donkey <laughs> 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 laugh track yep <laughs> That's what, what, Sam? All right. Uh, (laughs) Sam, well, what have you done? Um, Okay. The rest of it now. (laughs) (laughs) And then the rest of the episode happened. I, I feel like I got to do this because because of sequence. I think we need to go back and forth here. So we're going to talk about about Dragonstone, and we're going to talk about King's Landing, and we're going to talk about Casterly Rock because those are all going on here. <laughs> so John arrives at Dragonstone. Didn't take him too long. I was remembering back, and the, I, this was is what I would say about rushing headlong. Monty is it used to be on Game of Thrones. Somebody would say, "Oh yeah, I'm getting, I'm going to a boat, and then I will go somewhere else in the world," and then sometimes they'd be there in the next episode other times they would disappear for weeks (laughs) in this case it's like john says let's get in the boat and then like boom first scene they're pulling up to the shore at at dragonstone to talk to daenerys and it was instant well not instant i mean they had to go a long way in a (laughs) crappy little boat but they they got there and that's the important thing so uh what do we have it's a they're um they are greeted by uh, Missande and by Tyrion, and uh, and a Dothraki we may or may not know, but he seemed important in this scene. I guess so. Uh, Tyrion, there's a nice, a nice moment. Like this is the Tyrion and Tyrion and John haven't shared a scene together since season one. So there's a reminder of I last saw you pissing off the wall, and it's been a long road since then. No kidding. Um, and you're going to have to leave your weapons here. But the the exchange that I really love between them, and I, I think these are true two fun characters, and it is so great to see them together here. And the, the episode really plays it up. But I like that moment where they're talking about Sansa because he he wants to say to John like. Like it was a sham marriage. It wasn't consummated. I, I think she's great. She's way smarter than she lets on. To which John says, in the line maybe of the season, she's starting to let on. <laughs> I loved it. Because she's so annoying because she keeps questioning him. Anyway. <laughs> um, let's see. What else? Uh Varys and Melisandre are watching from above, and this is something that I actually surprised me a little bit. I thought there'd be one of those moments where the Onion Knight would be like, "Get the witch out!" But no, Melisandre's smart. She's like, "They don't, they don't want to see me." They're yeah, not like I made, and I like. She's like, "I made terrible mistakes. Uh, I, it's my fault." You know, let's not talk about Stannis and his daughter. I just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. And then something really interesting happens where Varys is like, "Don't come back," 
And she says, oh, but I must return one more time because I must dr- die in this strange country, as must you. <gasps> Prophecy of death for Varys Spooky. and Melisandre. Mm, that's right. But I like I liked that exchange. There's a moment at the end of season one where Varys and Littlefinger have a very short scene, maybe 45 seconds, where they just talk about things. And immediately yeah. after some big plot point in season one happens, this reminded me of that in all of the right ways. It's two relatively minor characters that are able to commiserate in that they're involved in this gigantic plot and they know their place in it and they know they're going to try to A, exploit it in uh, Varys's case and B, kind of hide from it in Melisandre's case. I really, really enjoyed this scene. Also, a- what was up with his uh, his makeup seemed a lot more defined this episode. There's a mm, lot yeah. more definition in his face and his eyes, and I it's really the, appreciated it's that. The moist air. Tell you moist, why. The moist air is good for Varys. I think that's... I agree. It's the environment. He, he normally looks almost like a cadaver, like he's covered in white face, but not as much this time. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's getting... He's got a little... Uh, he's doing some calisthenics. He's taking little uh, walks around the island. I think he's... Uh, I think he's feeling good to be back in uh, Westeros again. I think it's good for him. The the the, the sea air takes care of him. Um, Next week he'll have a full head of hair. <laughs> wow! Imagine that. I will go undercover, and he puts on a little wig. Um, I I I'm not quite sure what the deal is with. I don't think he should return. Although I was reminded of Varys's story about how when he was kidnapped as a child and his parts were cut off that there was this you know a voice from the flames spoke to him and he doesn't talk about what it said i feel like varus has a very specific sort of a it, it, unclear relationship with maybe the red god or some other supernatural power and that the, there's a suggestion here that that may be something i don't know something related to him not liking melisandre also she's creepy I guess there's that. <laughs> Ferris is also creepy. He has no standing mm. to say you're too creepy to be around here. Look, I'm the creepy one here. Get out. <laughs> well, that that could be it. <laughs> I don't know. You've been lurking in my corners and being lit by my carefully positioned candles. Get out of the way. <laughs> Get out. That's, this is my gig. I just I like I like this though because I like that the the show is giving the characters more credit than I gave them and saying that Melisandre is like I. There's no way. Like no way i'm going to be caught in i want this to all work out between you two because i've seen the future the last thing i want to do is get in the way of this because the onion knight's just gonna stab me and nobody's gonna like that so i'm gonna just get out of here i i thought that was good i i I really that was surprised at how happy that made me that she was smart enough to realize she needed to not be there yeah before we move on i want to bring up uh a a few things uh Mm -hmm. the this episode is uh this scene in particular is one of the most cinematically interesting of game of thrones in a long time and i have a note in my uh, in my notes here i should not be watching this in the corner of an 9.7 inch ipad pro with a text editor on one side and slack on the other because this deserved a really really big tv for like the drone shots in the scene and the steady cam of them walking along that wall, I loved it. It was gorgeous. And then it all ended with a really, really, really bad dragon CGI shot that looked <laughs> extremely fake. Like someone get Todd Vizieri on the line to break this shot down. It was I, not was good. A, I was a little distracted because the one really rickety bridge that everybody walks along to get to Dragonstone happened to also be on The Bachelorette last week. Oh. Really? Yeah, well, they go to, you know, exotic places, especially as the season gets towards an end, and they went to this remote monastery in Spain that happens to be separated from the mainland 
by this one really cool rickety bridge. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and huh. it's on a bachelorette, I could see the entire bridge and how it connected to the monastery. And on Game of Thrones, I can see where the bridge is and then all the CGI stuff they added to it to mm-hmm. add Dragonstone. Hmm. It's a little For bit more distracting. <laughs> For more information, check out the villain edit on yes. the Incomparable Network. I like and it. As I, as I said on the villain edit, I bet the PR people in charge of that monastery think something's finally going so right <laughs> yeah, for yeah, them. That's right. Things are finally looking up for the monastery, <laughs> the Spanish monastery. Um, Brian, I, I like that your statement makes two um, contradictory uh assumptions about the budget of game of thrones one that their budget needs to be bigger on dragons and two that it was a drone that they used for those shots and not a helicopter which it almost certainly was like a whole helicopter right very very fair it's tv i'm sure they (laughs) rented a whole big helicopter for those well, i can shots. tell you from the bachelorette there is a helicopter in that neighborhood because uh, that's see? how bachelorettes get around look, look at that so um <laughs> i agree with you though the cinematic feeling feeling of it i really love the shot actually um the shots that are up on the hillside looking over the water both uh, the later one with john and daenerys and the one with Varys and melisander i just thought these look like a million bucks like use your setting like they've they've got the kind of deep focus where you've got that the green mountains in the background as they stand in the for- and the and the ocean and they're in the foreground right up there on the on the cliffs. It's great. Looked great. And, and I liked that for once the people in this world were acknowledging the amazingness of the view in front of them. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of scenes where like people are up on the wall and there's this incredible vista and they're like, eh, it sure is cold down there. So anyway, <laughs> here <laughs> there were like Daenerys was just standing there looking at the cool scenery when John came up to talk to her. Also, Kit, Her- Kit Harrington's got to be happy because he got a little, um, he got a little like a uh, uh, chance to be someplace that isn't covered in snow. Like for yeah. li- like literally as an actor, he got to go to Spain, and uh, that's nice, right? Like because he's usually in Iceland and maybe Northern Ireland. So congratulations! Although he still has to wear that massive furry coat, which he uh, does. I can imagine is a little bit less comfortable. <laughs> I, yeah, you can take that off now that you're in a warm spot, dude. I like that it it suggests that he is a um, you know a northern you know a northern boy who's gone to the big city and doesn't have any appropriate clothes, and so he's just like, yeah, I'm still gonna just be here uh, with my scraggly beard and my uh, my fur. Uh, like like every northerner just doesn't doesn't know what's fashionable. I think that it, that's fine. It's John. He didn't bring. He doesn't have any lighter clothing. Midnight Northerner, starring John Voight and uh, mm. Justin Hoffman in Westeros. It'll be great. So Daenerys uh, is sitting in the the, the throne in in uh, <laughs> Dragonstone and is introduced. And there, there's a shot where you know we see her sitting there while, but she's being introduced with a list of all of her names that she's got, which we've seen her collect most of those over the course of seven seasons. And then the Onion Knight says, "This is Jon Snow." <laughs> All right. He's good, king of the good, north. Good, <laughs> good talk. Jon Snow could run off some impressive stuff, too. But apparently he's shy about telling people he returned from the dead. Yeah. Yeah, with that sh- with that look he shot the Onion Knight. Like, nope, nope, don't Ixnay say anything about that. on the Ezurrection Ray right now. And then that's called back later. And I don't know quite what the reasoning is, but that's called back later, where Daenerys tells Tyrion, like, what was with the stab? Took a knife in the heart thing. Did you notice that? And he's like, I don't know. They're Northerners. They exaggerate. <laughs> uh, I hated that. You, If you notice something like that, 
ask a follow-up question. Don't bring it up and then shrug it off. Well, I, I think it's I think it's interesting that they're like, no, 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 we're just not going to talk about that. And then there's, I don't know, there's other things going on. They're like, all right, well, I'm just going to let that go. And later, I do like that they're like, that was weird, right? That wasn't just me. Yeah. That was weird. It's like, yeah, that was weird. Somebody asked him about it. But no, not yet. Not yet. Yeah, uh, just one question. Uh, what? Yeah. I feel like the idea that, because uh, as we're about to discuss, the fact that Daenerys does not believe a word John is saying about the White Walkers and the uh, Night King and things like that, one more step in that exaggeration uh, road is the fact that John got resurrected. And yeah. I feel like they want to keep that on the back burner because that's just a step too far. Get out of Dragonstone now. I, but I what's their explanation for him not still being in the Night Watch? Well, that's that's what I was thinking is that Onion Knight gets on a roll right where where after there's like i've done all these things and who are you you know and and the onion knight's like look you know he he did this thing and he was the they they elected him lord commander and then they elected him the king and he's not even a he's not even noble he's a bastard and isn't he great and they they he he sacrificed <laughs> and they stabbed him and uh i mean uh he's great that's what i was saying and it's interesting because yeah that that would have been a really good question to ask like how is it that you're not th- that you left the night watch and are not a traitor and you know they would have to answer that but instead it's just sort of like i just am wondering yes it does feel a little bit like this is the script setting us up for uh we don't want people to know that yet we want them to talk about it later but it's interesting that they they start to say it and then that means that that john doesn't want the onion knight talking about his resurrection and i'm not quite sure why that's it's interesting but i'm not quite sure why and i'm not it's not so it's not just like the screenplay trying to withhold that information from the characters it's the characters trying to withhold yeah. that information i don't know so this scene i felt went on kind of forever with daenerys going on about how well your grandfather swore to my great-grandfather in perpetuity and if you will check the dictionary in yes. perpetuity Webster's forever. dictionary of westeros and defines forever. perpetuity as forever and then Jon snow goes on with his thing and then she goes on with her thing and first i found it pretty boring even with the zazzy lines thrown in, like, did you see three dragons outside? <laughs> and a Dothraki. Don't forget the Dothraki. <laughs> but it just seemed like Daenerys was just repeating her basic statement of, I want to rule the seven kingdoms of Westeros, which we already knew. So I I see what you're saying. I think it's interesting that the, in the little after show thing, the producer said, um, you know, it's so electric to get these two characters together for the first time. Mm. And we were very excited about it. And here's the thing, Monty, I agree with them. I was, oh, I, right. I thought the scene was amazing. I loved every minute of it. I wanted Daenerys and John to talk as long as they wanted to. Cause so I was okay with it. Cause, cause I, and part of that is my motivation of like, come on, tell her the stuff, tell her the stuff about the white walkers. You got to tell her, um, more, I was more interested in him downloading his information to her then her recounting her and then i went to this town and i freed all the slaves again and then i, I guess right? i guess part of my problem is that it, so much of it was them telling each other stuff we already spent years watching okay I mean, so you know that's my biggest problem with the rest of this season is that they keep recapping all these things that we already know and we're sick of it because we <laughs> as the audience know all the things that they keep well, talking oh this isn't we, real there's we know no mo- need for that we know most of them brian um and those the, the things we don't know <laughs> our listeners know so yeah, yeah. <laughs> collectively we know but, it 
I'm definitely with you on this one, Jason. I love this scene. I think it is one of the best scenes Game of Thrones has ever done because for the first time, Daenerys has a formidable foe, somebody she can try to keep shouting down with all of her many titles and all of her many accomplishments and all of her many things like her family uh, reign and all of that kind of stuff. She can yell that at someone who finally understands it in Westeros. And that person is Jon Snow for this first one. And yeah, right, two great characters that are finally on screen together. I could watch this scene for hours and hours. But Jon standing up for himself and doing the same thing I was complaining about other episodes of this podcast (laughs) worked. It finally worked in this episode because of the fact that Daenerys is now finally, you know, being stood up against and finally having a formidable foe to have to work with or fight off. Okay. Uh, Let me ask you to this as people who liked the scene. Did you feel that there was any chemistry between the characters that might lead them to get married at some point in the near future? None. I, I, I like they don't even come close to each other until the very end. I, but I will say this: that's not I, true. She talks to him at the end, in at the, the end. in the big speech, and then also later on. Yeah, down la- the later beach. on, right? Here's 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 the thing. I, I can, I'm not going to make a judgment about whether they're going to be uh, connected in any way other than perhaps as allies, uh, hopefully. But um, <laughs> Boy, I hope so. Wouldn't it be neat if they weren't? That would Just be... Swerved us on us. Oh, man, that would be so sad, right? It's like, I've destroyed... <laughs> Daenerys is like, I've destroyed Cersei. Now I'm coming for you, Jon Snow. And they kill each other all. And, and the Night King walks down and finds the dead bodies. And is like, all right, more people for me. The end. And then yakety sacks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, well, and then, yeah, the dead bodies all dance around like... Uh, Benny Hill. No, what what I did love about this scene is I I love that they are both uh, they both are in the right. They feel they are trying to figure out like where does this person fit? Are they an enemy? Are they a friend? I think that it's interesting to see Daenerys, who is used to sort of having this very black and white. Well, both of them the black and white feeling of like there's the good and the bad, and this is the thing we need to do to fight the bad people. And then they're both kind of confronted with this like you're not quite my ally, but you're not my enemy really because we all hate Cersei. Right? Am I right? right? Yeah, we all hate her. And uh, and I and so these two characters, they've got information to share. They've got interesting, different perspectives. So that's what I really liked about it is like they finally get to interact a little bit, and they don't know what to make of one another. I like I like the fact that his refusal to bend the knee to her is sitting there the whole time, and like she's mad about it i think that Tyrion's like let's keep it cool but she's like mad like you you bend the knee also i i should say one of the things that i really love and this has happened before this season which is she really thinks that being a targaryen is a is like a positive and she's like yeah you know my dad he burned everybody but i'm different and like well, that's good like that's good enough and they're like no we hated you and he ruined everything and we overthrew you and i like that they have those perspectives too that she doesn't entirely realize the branding problem that the targaryens have and yeah, she's yeah she's still following viserys's game plan of well once i'm in westeros people will say thank god a targaryen is back yeah. to lead us and they'll <laughs> flock to me yeah yeah, and that's not I the see- case. And in Essos, she never had to deal with that. And so I, lo- I really love that, too, that that's, that's all un- you know playing on in these scenes. And so that's the stuff that I really liked about it. 
As soon as Daenerys went on her spiel about, well, uh, your grandfather and my grandfather were allies, and therefore in perpetuity, which means forever, uh, you serve me, right? 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 As soon as she said that, (laughs) I paused the episode and wrote a scathing thing about, well, you can't distance yourself from uh, your grandfather and still expect, um, and still expect the Targaryen Stark union to continue in the same way right? because you can't have one without the other and then john said the exact same thing the second i yeah. push play again and it was yeah. wonderful that it's, was so great it, it's great because your father burned my grandfather so yeah and my uncle and whatever right he goes in through the list and that's pretty amazing um yeah it, it continues i i like and as this episode goes on we'll see that one of the great things that that is happening here is that we've been following daenerys since the beginning so it's been this classic story of her kind of rise and her inevitable return and this season what we're getting is yeah it it is not inevitable like you you are making a lot of mistakes you think you're going to be welcomed and you're not your your family name that you're so proud of is kind of despised um you got dragons that's great you got dothraki but like you know you're not you're not just gonna march in there and and win this thing and be welcomed as a liberator and i like that about it that the the daenerys is gonna have to she's still not quite humble but i feel like she's going she's being humbled like she's 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 about to to be humbled and that is good i think even though i don't like cersei Someday she might not start every conversation by shouting all of her titles all at somebody titles. from a big ridiculous throne. Did I that mention I personally unburnt? Because I'm unburnt. I, that throne looks to me like the rock they use in Star Trek all the time. I, Vasquez I know, right? rocks, it's called. Yeah, yeah, it, totally. That's the Vasquez rocks throne. There could be a Gorn hiding behind there. All we know. <laughs> okay, so. Um, so Theon is pulled uh, is pulled out of the water alive. He's a coward. Everybody's sick of him. Big surprise. Next location, a boat. Yep, a boat with some Ironborn who have survived that battle. Theon will live to be humiliated another day. Um, we switch. What a to, twist. We switch to kings. You know, Theon's never going to die. He is going to just oh. get more and more humiliated. That I think that might be what. No, I, my dream is Theon will eventually do a noble sacrifice, but uh, he may not be allowed to. Either. That, that may be the other way to go with that. He keeps trying and uh, he fails. I, I think he's just alive right now because we're going to need some named character deaths in the final run of the show. I keep him around for now. I do think that if he's going to die, he will probably be given some opportunity to redeem himself somewhat in some way. I feel like that's how that character you bring a character that low. And I feel like that's the inevitable thing is that he'll he'll be allowed some sort of redemption in in his in his death but who knows it's game of thrones they could just be sick bastards and kill him in a terrible way speaking of sick bastards uh well, right. you could be going I, almost anywhere with I that think segue you need to be more specific brian <laughs> at king's landing there is applause for euron Greyjoy. is that where you were going he is leading yep. yara oh. through the streets uh been a while since we had a scene of a woman being humiliated and spit on as she was dragged through king's landing i know thanks joe yeah ding um the the uh there is a uh he says did you, oh did you see theon's face when when i uh i i threatened you and he and he ran which is like yeah we did we watched the episode last week but i did kind of like that he was very specifically gloating and monty your words i actually told my wife um 
uh, while we were watching, I said, you know what Monty says is, is he seems to really enjoy his work. And it is. That's the best thing about, about uh, Euron is that, yeah, he really likes being a, uh, a bad guy and doing all this stuff. He, 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 there is a lust for life in this guy. I gotta say. Every second of screen time before he gets his comeuppance, he yep. is going to just wallow in. Yep. Make enemies everywhere he can. Including Jamie. Yes. Oh, yeah. The, 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 for no reason. The, the ripping on Jamie for, for no real... I mean, I guess because he thinks he's a rival for her, but nah, I mean, he's just doing it because it's fun and because he feels like he's so important to them that they can't shut him up. So the, the line that I wrote down that I really liked is, ah, yes, the cheer of the crowd. Of course, you wouldn't know about that. <laughs> Take that, Kingslayer. Suck it. Um, also, Mama Sand Snake, whose name is Hilaria Sand, by the way, because she's referred to by name by Circe later. She, uh, she like spits at Circe, but uh, this is his gift to Circe, is the gift of justice for your murdered daughter. Of course, poor Marcella, who was killed by the poison, poison kiss, the poison lipstick. Yeah. <laughs> of Hilaria Sand. And so we get to how exactly will Cersei destroy Hilaria Sand this time? And the answer is she's going to give the kiss of poison death to her daughter, the only surviving Sand Snake, and leave them chained up in a room so that she can watch her daughter eventually die of the slow poison and then rot. With the uh, keep the torches lit, everybody, so she can watch. And I think this is an important scene because later on when Jamie is reminded that his sister is a monster, we will have been given some fresh uh, new evidence that that is still the case. Ah, I don't know. Yeah, the, Did you feel I bad about the I, sand snakes? I, I, I don't <laughs> like them, but this is, this is rough. This is rough. Well, he, he, here's my problem. All right. And I know I'm being real negative, but every second of Marcella's screen time was in the previously segment. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much so we didn't see her she, like hanging out with the sand snakes uh on spring break that part they they didn't put in this time we they, she did she, have that scene yeah but she was never really a character we got to know no so her death didn't make that big an impression on me i mean yes okay another one is dead but all that right lots of people are dead made jamie and cersei very upset i think that's the bigger point mm. there but cersei lost tommen pretty much at the same time and she clearly liked tommen way more mm. so anyway we get to this scene where I can't name this sand snake that died. No. It's the other I one. know I didn't care about her plot at all last season. Let's call her Peggy. <laughs> okay. Get it? Cersei, anyway. Cersei is certainly being I monstrous. It. I but I have trouble really getting excited about the death of Peggy. Yeah. Define excited, Monty, please. <laughs> Caring. I okay, <laughs> I, I I don't really care about her death, but I I care. Like I said, I care that this is a horrible thing that's being done to ah. Mama Sand Snake, and I don't really care about Mama Sand Snake either. But I care that this is you know a hor- another horrible thing that Cersei is doing, just to remind us, if nothing else. And I don't mind the reminder that Cersei is awful ah. and does horrible things. So you know, I didn't mind. It. I, I just feel- felt. I thought the show wanted me a lot more invested in, oh, no, Peggy's dying. I don't know. 
I didn't. I, I didn't feel that way. I felt like it was more, but just about like Cersei being being Cersei than it was about like, oh no, I can't believe the third Sand Snake, who we don't really know very well, is also going to die. <laughs> yeah, I've been sad about the Sand Snakes for the past few seasons because almost immediately I knew they wouldn't reach their full potential of their very first scene, which was this badass kind of like. Right? It reminded me almost like something out of Ocean's Eleven, where they're just kind of there chatting back and forth about what they're going to do and the cinematography and the music was so great and it felt like this really great establishing shot for this amazing new set of characters that we're all going to know and love and immediately that didn't happen because they're all dead now and i feel like in terms of peggy dying <laughs> the the idea that this is cersei torturing a mother and daughter together in this extremely sadistic way is enough for this scene to land Regardless of the fact that Peggy is someone we don't really care about much. Yeah. yeah. I also, the, I feel a little bad for Cersei because this is a really good revenge plan. Like, this is super long term, just horrific. You're going to watch your daughter rot and turn to bones and dust. And I'm thinking, well, probably not. <laughs> I, I don't know that the sh- I don't know that you're going to be in charge that long. And I, I know the show is certainly not going to last that long. If I had to bet, you're probably going to die when a dragon gets bored and blows up the castle. Yeah. I think it was a good idea, Cersei. Very sadistic and evil. Yeah. Points for that. Uh, okay, so uh, she then leaves that and goes straight to Jamie. And they uh, and he's kind of not super into it, but she makes him into it anyway. Because she's the queen. And uh, they wake up the next morning and she's got a meeting with Mark Gatiss from the Iron Bank of Bravos, uh, <laughs> who is again asking about this whole Lannisters pay their debts thing. And she basically, and she's like, oh, you, you are you trying to bet on a winner? And you don't want to bet on Daenerys because she's going to, uh, she's a revolutionary and that's really bad for business. And uh, she says, stay here a fortnight and my debt will be paid in full which is uh, a question of like does she have a plan but it turns out we are about to see she totally has a plan to pay off her debts and help uh finance her uh her continued control of the iron throne so hey my mark gatus uh westeros's bank <laughs> banker yeah um banking is exciting isn't it anyway uh <laughs> I-, I like mark gatus <laughs> yeah yeah. I, I normally I say something like good to see he's getting work, but he's got plenty of work. Yeah. So I guess why it's good to see he had a few weeks open in his schedule. <laughs> uh-huh. That's right. It's like they got I had a moment where I was like, "Oh, I did they get Marcatus back or back or is it going to be another banker?" And it's like, "Nope, they got the one <laughs> the one banker back. He's the he's like the Westeros branch manager for the Iron Bank." So <laughs> um all right, so Tyrion and John have a conversation up on the up on the cliffside. Uh and and Tyrion's got some great lines, including "You look a lot better brooding than I do," um, or "You'll fi- you figure you figure out about my fleet, and I'll figure out about your Walking Dead men." Uh, I feel like know, this script got punch up from some stand-up comedians. Yeah, well, I I, I think it was like Tyrion needs to be <laughs> so doing. Cranky. Tyrion needs to do the jokes. He needs he needs the jokes. That's his bit. That's all he's got. But he looks great brooding. The joke doesn't even work on the face of it. Mm. Yeah, it does. I like it a lot. That, that joke made me really, really happy. If they had a brood off, I'm not convinced John would win. Oh. Wow, Monty, you are uh, you are just going to be contrary today. That's fine. All right. Fair enough. 
We can do that. This scene especially works in contrast to... I don't see how I'm being uh, contrary when I'm the first one to say something. (laughs) 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 Uh, You assume that we like a lot more things in this episode than you do. Um, I I really like the scene in contrast to uh, the earlier scene at Dragonstone where... Tyrion fires off some of the best lines in that scene, and they're very short and very punchy and very official. Uh, things like, I, I think he's calling all of us children, Your Grace, things like that. And we're like, they're very serious, but with the same kind of wink, yes. wink, nudge, nudge Tyrion always does. And here he's just flat out silliness with uh, Brudolph and things like that. I really well, appreciated both of these scenes. Tyrion has gone in with Daenerys, like, vouched for John, And so in the earlier scene, he's like trying to smooth things out and not like have this go badly here yeah he's he's kind of letting it rip but i like it here he is acting as advisor to john he's like i wouldn't have let you come here and but i do believe you because um things that everybody knows are the things that you know i trust an honest man more than i trust things that everybody knows so i believe you um and then he gives some interesting, you know, it's like the reason why they're having such a hard time selling this White Walker thing, which is it, it people don't like things they don't understand. It's a relief almost to confront a familiar monster like my sister. I like that a lot that, that you know, Cersei's a monster we can understand. So we're going to focus on her. Um, he, he, uh, he says children are not their fathers. Luckily for all of us, I thought that was really good, given uh, everybody's everybody's fathers and and what happened to all of them. But I, what the, what I like the best about this scene is that it's Tyrion saying, "Look, you're not going to get what you want from her, but you could get something from her." ask for something reasonable and this is where the setup for the dragon glass comes in which is just like all right um ask for the dragon glass that that's a, a win for you it's the start of a relationship you know Tyrion's trying to think long term here when these two monarchs are trying to outdo one another and i like that 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 seems like a very Tyrion thing to do and in the end it allows daenerys you know he talks daenerys into saying give him give him the obsidian it doesn't matter. He he says he needs it. Either he'll be proven right, and that'll be great, or it's worthless, and who cares? Which you know, it's John good. rolled an eight on the. Oh. John rolled an eight on the dragon glass hex, and uh, he got his resources, and he's good to go. I really appreciate that in a show full of uh, like uh, fetish- fetishization of like uh, underbelly machinations and everyone going around doing underhanded deals and things like that. Tyrion makes some of the best things happen in this episode with two conversations: one, ask for this; two, give him this when he asks for it, and he just makes things happen in a very legitimate way, which I really appreciate. Well, Tyrion knows that these two Tyrion believes these two people who he has respect for should ultimately be on the same side and need to be working together. And the more he hears about, he knows about the monster that is his sister. The more he hears about what John is worried about, it's like, there's no reason to let's, let's find a way to work together and see where it goes. (laughs) Right. Like, can I, can we just do that? And so that's, that's what they end up. uh, That's what they end up doing here, which I think is good. Also, he quotes, he quotes himself as ancient wisdom and is (laughs) called on it by Daenerys, which I really, enjoyed why are you just doing that he's like uh, not now um not to you yeah <laughs> Tyrion is kind of acting like either an audience surrogate or the author surrogate where he's level-headed uh, level-headed enough to know that john and daenerys need to work together yeah to get things forward so he's going to spend a lot well, of time just begging them please 
this is the only way any of this works is if you two get on the same side at some point. This is the role of the hand of the king. I mean, Davos does yeah. this too, right? Where it's like, let's just, you know, let's be reasonable here. You guys have a lot of ego. You you don't want to be seen, you know, bending the knee or being taken advantage of by this other person. But, you know, can we, can we be pragmatic here? Can we make this work? I know you have your differences, but can we make it work? And then John and Daenerys do get that scene together at the end um, where she's... She's not going to give him everything he wants, but she's like, all right, you know, you can have your dragon glass. Um, People thought dragons weren't going to gone, but they're here. So maybe we should be open minded. But she doesn't say she believes him when he asks her. She just says, you better get to work, Jon Snow. And that is the only moment, Monty, in the whole episode where I had that moment of like, interesting, because she talks to him just like Egret does. Yeah. Get to work, Jon Snow. I will say this is another episode where uh, she was talked out of using her dragons to move the plot along. Yes. She's yes. like, I could just hop on a dragon. We go fly around, find these stupid uh, wooden boats you're so worried about, destroy them, come back. And everyone's like, no, too dangerous. So, I mean, clear by the end of the episode, because remember, Elena Tyrell warned her, like, clever boys <laughs> with clever plans. Don't listen to them. Uh, and by the end of this episode, it's very clear that Daenerys is like, all right. <laughs> Uh, these plans aren't working and I have three dragons. So, um, because they do say, no, 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 we don't need them. We're going to go to Casterly Rock. They won't be ready. Tyrion, there's a great thing where he's like, oh, well, this is what would happen if we went to the walls and that would be bad. But fortunately, and it's all quick cuts. I actually, I really like it. It's like, he's telling a little story. Like, fortunately, my father didn't want to, uh, plan the sewers. So he gave the job to the lowest person, which was me. So I built a way that I could get, uh, get whores in and out or women in and out i forget what he says but it's like i built it for myself did he say whores okay because i think he was using whores primarily at that point in his life as that was his lifestyle so um so he knows the secret way into casterly rock i thought that was funny and clever and um and so they break in but they discover that there's a skeleton crew guarding Casterly Rock and, ah, that, and scary and that the, no not actual skeletons a small <laughs> oh, a small group of humans crew get, and uh, meanwhile the Greyjoy fleet is out in the bay uh, blowing up their ships so now they're stuck guarding a uh, a castle that's been stripped of its supplies and there's nobody there so you know give one to Cersei for that that. and then meanwhile where are the rest of the lannisters army and then okay we got excited about hot pie last week so let's do it jamie lannister the lannister army and braun are at high garden yes braun doesn't say anything but, but he's thinking clever stuff we know it we know he is we'll hear him i'm sure soon i imagine some of it and it was hilarious yeah oh yeah <laughs> now did you recognize high garden right away because this show uh, thinks I can I saw identify the boxy hat. I knew this show thinks I can identify castles instantly. Yeah, there, I knew the, I knew where it must be. I knew where it must right. be. So I didn't. I didn't. And then yes, boxy hat appears, and then you know exactly that it's that, that's a nice another nice shot. In addition to the whole Tyrion like, uh, let me tell you my story, and it's like the quick cuts. Here we get the series of quick cuts of Jamie walking down various hallways to the destination which is the the room where Olena Tyrell is and uh and that's where they uh they go through the whole uh the you know uh a, a good scene uh I I did unspeakable things oh well your your people thought as well as could be expected like 
ouch um i did unspeakable things to protect my family but your sister has done things she's not like all the last chance is to plant these seeds with jamie because maybe it will make a difference later although jamie thinks not your sister's done things i wasn't capable of imagining um it's a failure of imagination she's a monster you do know that um and jamie's response is if we win and uh there's peace uh, will they care how we won? And I think that's a pretty good argument that probably not. He's probably right that that it, you know the, all of that will be forgotten if they if they win and uh, and it's over. They get to write the history. But she says she'll be the end of you. And I think he says probably or perhaps like he's not denying it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he explains that uh, she had devised terrible deaths for her, but he talked her out of it. And uh, instead, she just gets some poison. And so she takes the poison. She's like, all right, before I go, one last thing. One more thing. Jeez, I hate to bother you, but I have one more question for you, which is, did you know who killed your son, Joffrey? Because it was me. (laughs) Tell your sister. Out. Elena, out. That was excellent. And she dies. And dies while staring him in the face. Diana Rigg, everybody. Diana Rigg. I'm going to miss her, but it was what a way to go. What a great. I mean, she's a truth teller at that point. She knows it's over. And the all she can do is she can spite Jamie and Cersei, but she can also like I really like that that she's like surely you know uh, you can talk to me I'm never leaving this room alive you can talk to me she is a monster and she's going to destroy everything and Jamie you know he's pragmatic about it but he also has the the air of a doomed man about him like it's too, I'm in too deep what can I do and I'm I'm still convinced that in the end Jamie is going to turn on Cersei that's my theory is that rather than being loyal to the end he's finally going to have that moment where he realizes that he can't uh that that she's gone too far like you know like Darth Vader with the emperor I feel like basically is what's going to happen I don't know that's just my gut feeling and so when i see a moment like this where somebody actually tries to get to jamie and says no 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 seriously that i i appreciate that even though he's just sort of resigned to it like what what can i do he loves her she's her his sister so he's just gonna go along with her terribleness he tried to push her away earlier in the episode and then they cut to the two of them waking up in bed together well he seems helpless around her like he just can't Mm mm-hmm He's very, he's weak around her. She, he's just, he will, he just can't, he can't move against her when, when he's around her, when he's away from her, he is a little more clear headed, but when he's with her, forget it. I don't when, know. Uh, I was talking to a friend uh, about how I thought Arya was going to kill Cersei eventually, and they said, mm, well, I think Jamie's going to kill Cersei. And my <laughs> first initial thought was, wait, what? Come on. And the idea <laughs> that this episode is sowing those seeds of uh, rejecting her sexual advances and the idea that she takes her sadistic pleasure and turns it into sexual energy earlier in the episode. And then here at the end, uh, the idea that uh, Cersei is a disease and I regret my role in spreading it. And I think you will too, as uh, Alana says, I really think that they're starting to set that up and oh, kudos I... to everyone and all of y'all for seeing that before I did. But <laughs> I honestly think that something's going to happen on this front. I think they've been setting up Jamie killing Cersei forever like he's the kingslayer what he does is take out the monarch who trusted him so that the rebellion can continue right so the question is what possibly could happen that would lead jamie to make that tough decision about the person he loves most and is it 
a realization that they can't win? Is it a realization that if they win, humanity will be destroyed by the army of the White Walkers? Is it something smaller? Um, I don't know. I don't know. But that that is like, even if we accept that, I, I think that the drama is really in what is the thing that would make Jamie Lannister turn on his sister? Is there anything? Yeah. And what would that be that would do that? I don't They've know. Only Counterpoints. Got They've only Good. got Tyrion left because their kids are dead. Their father is dead. Lancel, the, practically the only other named Lannister, died in the Sept of Baelor. Yeah. Well, his brother, who he freed, right? I mean, you could yeah. argue that maybe in the end, if he has to choose between Tyrion and and Cersei, maybe that's the moment where Jaime chooses to kill Cersei and not Tyrion. I, I That, I, I feel like... We've only seen it a couple of times, but like when he frees Tyrion, I feel like Jamie understands that Tyrion is the best of them in all ways. I I, I do believe that. And so maybe that's it. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what what how he separates from her or whether that's not where it's going. Brian, go ahead. I I feel that, but also a counterpoint, the ending of this episode where uh, he is so scorned and offended and upset about the fact that uh, Diana Rigg confessed that she was the one that poisoned Joffrey uh, all those seasons ago. That fact and the ingrained love of Joffrey, even though he was a terrible person, and his love of Cersei, ergo, uh, that that all is going to be a big ball of emotion in his chest that's going sure. to sway his thinking and make him feel all these different things. So I think that is a big, big, big part of this, is that he is going to want to commit to Cersei in a way that uh, avenges Joffrey. With the well, children. he just did avenge Joffrey, yeah. and what's going to happen is he's going to go back to King's Landing and say, you'll never guess, Olenna Tyrell killed Joffrey. And Cersei is going to say, that's really great. I want revenge on Sansa and Tyrion anyway. Exactly. Yeah, and that and that that is interesting, right? Because then then he's pitted against people who he knows are innocent, and including their brother, who didn't do it. Um, killed their father. He still, he totally did that, right? But he didn't. <laughs> killed your father. I did. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I don't. I I don't know. It's it, uh, the other way out here that I keep thinking is that what will happen is um, we will. Jamie is often sympathetic, not always, but but often, or at least sometimes sympathetic. Uh, we'll get in a situation where Jamie will be on the verge of doing the right thing and will be killed surprisingly by. Arya, and then Arya will kill Cersei. That's the, that's another way it could go, and then it'll be a tragic mm. death for Jaime, where um, you know maybe he could have ha- could have done the right thing, but instead he is, you know, he's greeted by someone who looks just like someone he knows, but it's not. It's Arya. Oh no! I don't know. <gasps> Many possibilities out there, but but I, I I am fascinated by that relationship, you know, which we've seen since episode one, and there is this real question. Like, I mean, I'm serious when I say it's Darth Vader and the Emperor, because it kind of is that. Like, how, what, what's it going to take? What's it going to take? And they don't have, the kids are all dead, so it's not going to be, you know, Luke Skywalker is not going to do it. But maybe Tyrion. I don't know. Fascinating. Um, so, yeah, so everything is a disaster, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, they're on, the Lannisters are on the upswing. Daenerys is um, not looking as solid a favorite as she was before. Jon is going to get to mine some dragons, dragon glass and go back home. Army of 
Darkness is still on the march, apparently. Jorah has a new destination. This is where we are now. So, like, you know, it, it is... Uh, yeah, things, things are moving. They are not moving action wise as much as I feel like, like this episode slowed down to let us spend time with, um, especially John and Tyrion and Daenerys. But, uh, I still feel like the pace overall is moving quickly. That last 20 minutes, right? A lot of stuff happens. A lot of it happens in omission off camera, but like there's some major tactical things that happen in the, those last 20 minutes that I think are pretty, pretty great. When I think about how fast this is moving, I think about uh, the last eight episodes of Breaking Bad and how you have an endpoint in mind and you're here at the start of the season and then you uh, fill in the blanks and the different story beats that need to happen to get to the end. And I remember at the end of the first episode of the final season of Breaking Bad, I thought, oh, that happened then? Oh my God, I can't believe, where are they going to do the rest of the season? I thought that was going to happen way later. That's exactly how I felt about this episode in John showing up as fast as he did in uh, Diana Riggs' death, in all of the amazing ways that they have, you know, Bran show up and John show up. Everything is finally coming together in very, very long-term payoffs and very, very uh, fast ways where I don't know what's going to happen. The last, however many, five, four or four. five episodes are going to be in this, four, wow, are going to happen <laughs> this season. And it, it makes me think a lot about where I think the show is going to end. And you're right. It does slow down in terms of what actually happens this episode. When you look at the, uh, the battle scene, uh, where Tyrion's narrating, that is how you keep, uh, how you keep an audience interested in a long drawn out battle scene is you have more to it than just fight, fight, hack and slash because you have the context of Castle Rock's sewer systems and everything that Tyrion has put into that. I <laughs> yeah. Love- it was really more of a heist scene than a battle scene, I thought. Exactly. Uh, when, when I think about narrative weight, we finally get the payoff of how Daenerys is actually going to do the things she's been talking about for the past seven seasons. And that is what I've been looking for since the beginning, when uh, both of you were giving me crap about uh, not thinking there was enough narrative weight to the first episode of the season. <laughs> yeah, take that. No, I think the way it's structured, too, it's very clearly these last two seasons are structured as they know exactly what the last story beat is, and they know what like a story beat is that they want to have the season break on. And everything else is about filling in all the bits to get there. And, and you know, I think substantial things are happening, right? So Elena Tyrell dies here. There are lots of, like, battles lost and John and Daenerys meet each other. Um, but, yeah, it, I think one of the great open questions about Game of Thrones, a show that I love, I've really enjoyed this season, is, you know, what is what is left of their story and how are they going to tell it? And are we going to feel fulfilled? Because that's the danger. The danger is if you hold too much for your last season or hold too much for your season finale and there's not enough in the rest of the episodes that it feels slow and then rushed right you want to spread it out because you want people to feel like it's it's uh it's it's telling a full story (laughs) and i have seen tv shows play stall and then blurt out the end and it's not good so i hope that they are better than that well i would argue that i would argue the deathly hallows part one and two did that slow first movie bomb of a second movie bomb in a good way i mean it's massively huge the good news if is is that if it ever keeps moving too quickly for you the books will eventually catch up to this point yes and take thousands of pages to describe everything i had a moment um when they were talking about like john snow's resurrection i was like oh yeah in the books he's still dead that's how long ago the books that's where the books ended is john gets stabbed and is dead and that's the end of the books it's like wow 
It's a long time ago now. Long we've let a lot of water under the bridge since then. But you know, George R. R. Martin, he's going to take his time. Uh, maybe next year, possible. Mm-hmm. All right, we have four more episodes to go. As we said, next week we will be preparing for the spoils of war. Uh, oh, co- that thing starring uh, Will Ferrell, kind of a IFC parody no, show. No, that's not. That's else? not it. Queen's it Queen's wasn't Justice. Very good. <laughs> Queen's Justice, by the way, Monty. Title watch. Uh, um, I think we got it's it. Queen, it's Queen apostrophe S, but I think it would have been more interesting if it were Queen S apostrophe, so that you don't know whether it's Cersei's justice in killing the Sand Snake or Daenerys's justice in allowing uh, but, her new castle to be mined underneath. But if it, if it was that, wouldn't it need to be the Queen's justices? Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I think it's pretty pretty clearly that this is about Cersei uh, hor- horribly <laughs> killing sand snakes. That's, I guess. Uh, if, we, if we have to. So, Spoils of War next time. Sounds like Brian will not be joining us, but Erica Ensign will be joining us. So, we'll just mix it up a little bit next week. Uh, but, uh, that, but until then, until we watch another episode of Game of Thrones in a week's time, I would like to thank my stalwart companions on this journey. They, uh, they, I was going to say something about like brawn or something, but I'm not going to. Monty, Ashley, thank you. I wanted to know more about the paper mites that also eat flesh. Yes. This is a neat library. Si- silence in the library. It's basically Doctor Who that's happening in the, in there. It's basically the same. And Brian Hamilton, thank you. Next week, I will regenerate into a uh, Canadian. Into a, it'll be great. Into a time lady. And then, uh, and yeah, but that's okay because there's three whole more episodes after that. Ah! It's happening so fast. Ah! All right. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. As always, you can tweet at us at TVNet, T-E-V-E-E-N-E-T, and tell us the terrible factual errors or things that we've forgotten. Um, Or you can say nice things, or you can just, I don't know, be cryptic and make your predictions for how uh, Jamie will or or won't kill Cersei. How about that? Lots of things to do at TVNet. I'm Jay Snell. Brian is underscore Brian Hamilton. Monty is Monty underscore Ashley. Their underscores are all over the place is what I'm saying. And until next week, we bid you a farewell. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.